Hello and welcome back to Industry Town. I'm your host, Brian Norris, and I am really excited to welcome today's guest, writer, director, producer, unofficial captain at Little Dom's Restaurant, uh, my former boss, the showrunner of Reprisal, Josh Corbin. Now, when I worked on Reprisal last year, we shot in North Carolina, but Josh was mostly out here in Los Angeles, churning out scripts, overseeing posts, putting episodes together, so our paths never actually crossed in person until the premiere. So I was really excited to get him on the show because I wanted to really connect with the guy who created this beautiful, pulpy, imaginative, vivid world of reprisal and also thank him for letting me play two different roles and getting to wear a remarkable fake mustache. And it was really great to connect. We talked about how Reprisal was forged from this love of classic uh, film noirs and older B-movies and how it existed in his brain for like a decade before it showed up on screen. We talk about his jump to showrunner and what it's like to suddenly be making your dream a reality and collaborating on that dream with legendary producers like Warren Littlefield, who's uh, responsible for some of the most amazing shows in recent memory like Fargo and Handmaid's Tale. And also uh, how imposter syndrome, it turns out, that never goes away. Uh, this was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy the hell out of it. I know I did. Uh, before we start, I'm going to make a shameless plug for my Instagram. If you aren't following me or the pod, please do. You can find me at the Brian Norris and the show at Industry Town Podcast, and I'd love to connect with you on there. Now, before I introduce Josh, one more really, really important thing. Please check out Reprisal. It is streaming on Hulu. All episodes are available for your binging pleasure. It is beautifully shot. It's a neon noir story of revenge led by the brilliant and beautiful Abigail Spencer and then just a murderer's row of great actors like 300's Rodrigo Santoro, Aladdin's Mina Masood, Ron Perlman, Leah Delaria, Roy Cochran, previous Industry Town guest Bethany Lynn, and many, 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 many more. Uh, cool cars, beautiful sets, pop violence. What more do you want? Okay, now let's get started. I'm going to start by playing the teaser trailer for Reprisal to give you a little bit into the world, and then I'm going to bring in Josh. Here we go. What do you know about family? Misfits, outlaws, where you came from everywhere. It's a point of no return. You're looking for forgiveness, redemption. My brother dragged me through a field. They were that convinced. I wouldn't be a threat to them. I told you that I'm Lightning's girl. There's the men down south. But you keep hanging around. Have you heard of the banished brawlers? If Lightning never catches you. I'm gonna need you to find me a crew sooner than we thought. And these guys are your brother's gang. What do you plan to do? Tie up some loose ends. I didn't see this coming. It won't be anything like you think you're preparing for. All my life, people have been underestimating me. Being underestimated is the greatest advantage you can have over other people. Still trying to figure you out. I feel like I was pretty clear. Lock it up, very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Jesus, so Josh Corbett, thank you for coming on the show. Welcome to Industry Town. Thanks, man, thanks for having me. Um, 
get my fun little Dom's hat on there. I mean, uh, that now that seems like a collector's item. I feel like mm-hmm. we're going to get a few calls about that. That was the thought. In 25 years, this will be found in like, you know. It's yeah, a beautiful be, time capsule. It'll be $300 at a vintage store on Melrose or something. <laughs> so for anybody who's listening to this, uh, Josh is the showrunner on Reprisal, which is a show that I was so lucky to be a part of and had an amazing time with. It's on Hulu. Please be streaming it because everyone is at home right now and I'm sure looking for something to do. Um, but the show shot in North Carolina. He was in LA most of the time, so we did not get a lot of chance to actually connect. So this is kind of a fun moment right here where we got to actually meet and uh, and like shake yeah. hands at the premiere at the ArcLight. But um, but we actually mainly were kind of communicating through text through through the show through the world of it. So this is a really fun opportunity to actually, you know, act like we're sharing a beer, even though uh, yeah yeah that would that would be. That would be folly at the moment. That's right. Uh, but I'll just start a little bit by saying that, you know, my window into reprisal was such an interesting one because I lived on one set that got dressed yeah. two different ways, but I lived basically in a motel diner for a couple months. That was my entire experience of a show that actually had, was an entire world that existed in your brain that had incredibly different sets and 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 worlds and, and people and and tribes of people going on and so i'm wondering for you when you were thinking about reprisal was it always this kind of holistic gigantic thing or did you feel like you were almost visiting different lands and different people and telling kind of different stories that eventually all kind of cohered into one what was your experience of that um yeah i think like well i think i think any you know it, it's fun to give um every character something right you know i think like because that that is how the world works right like so like a clerk at a at a at a at a donut shop slash motel um you know i think like um yeah you want to find an, an angle in, in in for them but uh, i guess like when it came to reprisal it's like yeah especially kind of speaking to the location um i think you know just having gone on a lot of road trips across the South uh, as a kid and up, kind of up and down I-75, you just, um, you know, the idea that there's this world out there of these, like, you see them like, you know, three exits on the left kind of thing. These, these random places that they're not chains or these, you know, random sort of independent spots and just sort of creating a world based around that and, but having fun with it. You know, um, we always talk about reprisals, not really being, um, not really having like, you don't know where it is, but you feel like you m- might, you know, you just don't know how to get, or you do, you feel like you know where it is, but you don't know how to get there. Um, you don't know yeah, when it is. You don't know when it is. That was a big, that was a big thing for me. Was that a tough sell for people or was that something that they bought into pretty easily? I think it, uh, you mean like the development process? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like the idea of creating this world where you don't know yeah. where it is could be a very sexy pitch. And I think on the yeah. other hand, I could imagine a lot of execs being like, that's great. But when, when is it? What, like, what are the rules of this? How is, how are we going to be yeah. able to structure this? I, I spoke about it. I always spoke about it when pitching it uh, thematically. I was like, it's going to be era ambiguity, era ambiguity, era ambiguity. And everybody seemed to be on board with it. But then when we, um, for the pilot, when we had our like, tone meeting with the network. I remember they were just like, wait, wait, wait. We had all these different references, you know, from like Lauren Bacall to like, you know, uh, 
the sex pistols and just and 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 they were just like wait 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 we don't like where is this where are we what are we doing and then and and, and it kind of had to like rein it in like these we're gonna this is all gonna fuse together it's all gonna feel organic to the world um and then once we you know started rolling and and turning in cuts i don't i don't recall it ever being a thing <clears throat> i always my argument was always like I wanted to build this very era ambiguous sort of like culturally ambiguous world. Um, and I, m my belief was that like, it's so long as we kept it about the characters as much as we could, we would win, you know, like nobody would really notice. Um, because like, if you think about game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, like any fantasy, you know, successful fantasy franchise, um, you don't, you know, people buy into the world because they buy into the characters. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to create this sort of like fantasy world that, you know, just like a viewing Americana through a different lens. And I mean, it really, I think um, of, of like, there are corners of the internet that talk about the show and, and I love it when people reference that they're like, hold up. Like there's so many like tweets or Reddit posts that are just like, hold up. Like I thought this show was in the fifties. And then this, this guy just pulled out a cell phone. Yeah, flip phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like right from the early aughts right there. Yeah, the flip yeah. Phone. Yep, exactly. Well, that was, exactly. And we had, a, we had a rule where it was like nothing post-1995, but I also thought it was like fun. Like, I do think in a weird way, um, I remember, I forget who it was on the pile. It was like, well, if you're with this era ambiguity argument, wouldn't you say that it would be appropriate for them to have an iPhone? But there was something about like, anything contemporary that people could actually connect to, I felt like would have taken them out of it, you know, would have like broken the magic of that we were trying to, um, to spin there. So, yeah, the second um, you get into touch screens and iPhone and, uh, and Wi-Fi, there's something that feels yeah. not just present, but almost futuristic. It starts feeling like, like that's minority report to me. I feel like we're living in minority report now. Very and much so. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard for me to imagine that there's going to be a payphone and there's going to be, I mean, gosh, if people haven't seen the show yet, just every single one of those cars, I just want to sit in them. I want to smell them. I want to, yeah. so often like the hoods ripped off and you can like see all the pistons just firing and stuff. And there's something yeah. so tangible about that. There's something very manual about the world that you created for that, that does feel, I think, even more of a throwback than it is years wise. Cause again, people do have flip phones, but yeah. it does feel of a, of an era that we have left behind entirely. <clears throat> oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I think one of our editors had a flip phone and I was like astounded by it. Like, and, 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 and I admired him in a lot of ways. He was like, no, I just, you know, he, he there, there's a catharsis or uh, like a relief in being disconnected. I think when, well, we obviously live in a world that is nothing but connected. My mother-in-law just got an iPhone and she hates it. She's holding <laughs> on to a flip phone. I think it was a Blackberry that had the full QWERTY keyboard going on mm -hmm. and she loved it and could like fly on that thing. And I could see this resentment when she looks at this, you know, this incredible piece of technology that she has access to. Yeah. She looks at it like it's, it's the devil a little bit. Just <clears throat> it was weird. I had a Blackberry uh, with that keyboard for a long time. And in the beginning, like when I first got it, uh, I remember like everyone had a, what was it? BBM, Blackberry Messenger. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah. all of a sudden, like, and then I felt like everybody turned on them very, very fast to the point where then like, I couldn't afford an iPhone for a really long time. So I had this Blackberry, like people would be making fun of me for it. And I was just like, wait, I thought this was like, you know, and, and it's just, 
And shaming people for like not being able to afford better technology is not well, what America is yeah. at its best. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't mean like that. Nobody was making fun of me for being broke. They were just like, "Oh, that Blackberry's a trip." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a nice time capsule you got there. But it is also funny when you think about. It, not that this is what we were to talk about, but it is funny to think about. Like since then, though, it's kind of ground to a halt in terms of like. Like I, like, I guess if someone has a really old iPhone, maybe you could be like, oh, wow, you've had that a while, but they, it's all just kind of been the same now. You know, these, what else can you do? I don't know. I mean, yeah, you like take away a button and that's it. You know, <laughs> I want to I talk a lot about reprisal, but before we really get into that, how are you doing right now? How is, how is pandemic for you? Um, are no. you someone who know a lot of writers who feel like there's something about their, their daily schedules they used to live it that actually kind of feels consistent right now and they're able to kind of shut out the world a little bit. And I know some people who need to work in coffee shops and be bouncing ideas off of people and find this very disconcerting. So for you, how, how has this experience been? Uh, I've had, a, I'll tell you, I've had three or four different friends in the last couple months who have texted me and been like, how are you doing? You seem built for this. And um <laughs> The answer to their question, their answer is yes, I am. I am built for this sort of life. I, I, I don't notice any. Um, well, not that I shouldn't say I don't notice, but there's not any um, major disruption to my routine. Like I wake up. Um, uh, I guess the one thing is that um, I. Well, I'll, I'll say this: there's really no disruption to my routine. I think, like, I wake up, I you know have coffee. A little breakfast, whatever, um, and I write, and then. Um, but I think that, like, I, and I was just talking to, to a friend about this yesterday. I think subconsciously, you can't help but be like, "Man, why?" Like, oh yeah, maybe I've been feeling this sort of drag the last couple of months because you can't. I mean, just the, even even though I'm in my own bubble, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. At the same time, you can't ignore what's going on in the world, and you know. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't written in coffee shops in a long time. Um, but, but yeah, like I would go to, you know, get my coffee every morning and just the fact that that, and then also just, I'm obsessed with the news, you know? So I think I'm, I'm distracted. I would say more, um, by what's going on. Obviously I think more than I have in a long time. Um, but you know, and you can't help but just, I don't know. It's just, it's just such a, I feel like normally, uh, I, I, I can be a pretty opinionated person in terms of like, uh, no, no, things should be this way. It should be this way. But I don't know. Like, this is just like a, such a weird, it's such a weird thing. You know, I'm similar um, with so, that. I often tell people like, I, I do believe it should be this way, that way. And now I'll, I'll, the only thing I feel like I can do is treat certain opinions like whack-a-mole. Like, nope, that's not mm-hmm. it. I know it's not that. But yeah. what it is or what we should be doing feels borderline incomprehensible. It's pretty wild. Um, yeah. So I don't know that answer to your question. I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think, I think I get, um, I get really, uh, I, I'm very, I'm very grateful for how I'm able to continue working and whatnot throughout, you know, um, we weren't production on anything, obviously, you know, and, but I, yeah, I think, like I said, I think subconsciously I'm very distracted by just, it's a very, very sad thing going on. And, you know, how do you, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to affect everyone one way or the other. Are you Zooming constantly? Are you writing on Zoom? Are you having meetings on Zoom? Are you Zooming out the eyeballs right now? Yeah. Well, this is another thing where this, I, uh, I am, I'm built for that because I, yes, 
zooming in terms of like no no writing meetings because I don't have anything uh, officially in development. Um, but um, yeah, it's like you, you know general meetings um, and 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 like if I have if I have meetings on other projects initially, it, everything being done through Zoom is like my dream because I hate driving in the city. I hate living in Glendale and like you know it's like if you have a three p.m. In Santa Monica, it's just that's it. That's your day. It's you over. Know? And 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 for nothing really. For you sit down, drink a bottle of water, and there's like every general meeting's got this structure of like there's the small talk it starts out with. There's the like, what are you working on? What are you looking to do? And then they go, then they're like, well, let us tell you about that. Let me tell you about us. And then it's like we'd love to find something together. And then nine times out of ten, you'd never speak to that person ever again. So commercial. The fact that I can just do that right here from this chair, love that. I'm gonna milk that for a long time. I think. So what do you feel like, has, has anything changed? Do you feel like you've um, you developed any like bizarre new hobbies? Do you have any like, all of a sudden I got really into gardening. You know, I feel like people are, people are learning new traits or discovering kind of facets of their brains that were never heretofore explored. Do you feel like there's something revealing itself for you? No, but I did buy these plants. I, um, I was noticing the plants. It feels like there's a, it's nice to have something alive there and mm-hmm. it, it, there's something to tend to. You know, there's a there garden was, to tend to. There's, there was like a New York Times article or some article I read that was like, you should, it was a while, it was a couple months ago, it was like you should buy a plant uh, in quarantine. And then it was right after, I forget the, there's a company, um, I don't remember if I found them on Instagram, one of those targeted ads, or if I actually actively Googled it, but um, and they just delivered the plant, you know, you go online, they this great selection and they delivered the plants. And, and at first I was like, oh, okay, cool. I have plants. And then I got intimidated when I read how much care actually goes into a plant. I was like, wait a minute, you have to do things to it. I thought you just, I thought it was just there. Yeah. And I thought that that was going to be a thing. But, um, and then what's interesting is that, yeah, it's very small um, and very minor, but like you just notice and behave differently, you know? And, and, and so, yeah, now I'm a little, I'm a little obsessed with that. Like I come in and, you know, positioning them differently every day. And, and there's like the stuff that's okay. useful for it, but then there's yeah. just the stuff of like, um, so I have a, a, we got a hydroponic arrow garden, which is just designed to make like um, herbs for cooking and drinks and things like that. Mm. And I kind of remind my, I feel like I'm Shirley MacLaine at the beginning of Terms of Endearment when she goes and like pokes the baby because she wants uh-huh. something uh-huh. to do. I'm just like, there's something, I better change the water. The water, if I do that, right, it will right, be healthier. Right. I will be a good, I will have tended to my garden. This will make me a better person. I have purpose and I won't turn on Rachel Maddow again. But I also remember how that movie ended. So I don't know that I should keep doing that. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, Um, Yeah, that's it. I mean, not, again, you know, I think like just routine is very, very on, you know, very, uh, very similar to what it was. So do you find yourself, uh, your viewing habits change at all? Have you gone back to some favorites? Are you exploring new things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, I'm, my roommate and I, one of my best friends for a long time, we, um, we've been, are you, we go down like Amazon. I don't know what happened or maybe they've been there all along and I just didn't notice it, but like they have this massive library of all these like B movies from like ranging all decades. I mean, like, 60s onward kind of thing and some of them are pretty astounding and then so uh been watching a lot of those um and and it's interesting just yeah i don't know i'm not gonna wax philosophical about those but like they're fun to watch just because uh for obvious reasons and then 
there's also a full moon channel. Are you familiar with full moon? No. Oh man. You know, like, um, their most, I think their most popular movie, um, in terms of like, they're like this B horror movie company. Um, but you know, puppet master, like the puppet oh, master yeah. movies. Yeah. yeah. So there that's full moon and full moon has a channel on Amazon. You can subscribe to for like five bucks a month or something like that. Uh, so we're watching a lot of those, which, you know, are fun. But then it's funny because, like, what was it? I, I saw there was, like, this thread that Guillermo del Toro had on Twitter about all this, like, things he's watching. Oh, yeah. And, and I was like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Like, you should be watching. <laughs> you should be watching, like, you know, like really culturally better. enriching. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I am not. I am not enriching anything. I, uh, Puppet Master Nine's not getting it done for you? <laughs> I mean, it, it is fun, that's for sure. You know? So you, um, you have a deep love of B-movies, though, right? There's a love of B-movies and old movies. Is that, I feel like I, I had heard mm. that kind of um, just on set and things like that, that that's like a, a passion for you. Do you feel like yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, were you, where did that come from? Did your, did your parents uh, kind of just care deeply about that and indoctrinate it early, or is it something you found kind of on your own? Uh, I think when I think back to it, when I was, uh, how old would I have been? 11 or 12, maybe. I don't know. Um, there was a show that was on USA, I believe, very late at night called, um, Real Wild Cinema. Real spelled like film real. And it was yeah. hosted by Sandra Bernhardt. Have you ever seen that? No. It was great. She, um, she hosted it kind of like, she it was like an El, it was it was as if she was like Elvira but like that's good casting a psycho a psychedelic sort of like swinging sixties Elvira in a way and I guess not Elvira I don't even know where I'm getting that I guess just like the idea of like hosting a sort of movie program but what they would do is if I remember it right you can find them on YouTube is they would um they would pick like a theme of um these like B movies and then they would. I think maybe pick like three or four of them and then basically create very um, uh, condensed, like we're going to present this film to you, but like, you know, if it's an hour and 20 minute long, 20 minutes long, we'll present, we'll find a way to get it to you in like eight minutes. Um, and I would just, I, I was obsessed with that show when I was a kid. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think like, um, but not really probably knowing how to process it at first. But I think like that's probably where it started, um, and then I I think probably got away for that away from that for a while. But then at some point in the last ten years, um, ten or fifteen, started revisiting a lot of it. And you know I think like what's cool about things like that is you find um, I don't know little references that I don't think you can really you know get. It's like taking a line that might be perceived as cheesy and, and putting a spin on it. I think is a lot of fun and I don't, that's not exactly what it's about, but I think, um, uh, yeah, dude, I am, you edit these, right? This is my, I take take it. You're doing great though. You're doing it. But, um, yeah, the the answer to your question is I have been a big fan, uh, for a long time. Um, and so that's probably why I'm spending my quarantine watching full moon and, and other B movies. Well, so one thing that I've, learned that I, I kind of thought I was maybe alone in and I'm realizing among my kind of generation of actors that I know is that there's just less education about classic film and about kind of not the most obvious genres. You know, I, yeah. I, I coach and teach acting classes and the number of people who haven't seen what to me feel like really standard 
like basic education, um, like whose shoulders are we standing on kind of stuff is sometimes yeah. kind of mind boggling to me. I remember like, a, I mean, I, I, a lot of them are younger. They're in their like early twenties, but I remember talking like Kramer versus Kramer and it was just, mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh no, we need to, we need to fix some of this stuff. Um, so I'm curious if you could curate like a, like a five day film festival, to uh, give people an education in what you feel like is something that means a lot to you. Could you like, I mean, obviously I'm not giving you an hour to really think about this, but yeah. could, could you come up with five that you feel like, like start here, start here. This is going to rock your world a little bit and kind of give you a window into how your brain was formed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, this is something I, I always sort of, when I approached, like this is something I struggled with. I went to a graduate film school and when I got there, I, I think beforehand, I thought like I was a movie buff, right? Or like a, I didn't even know if I knew the word cinephile. I just knew that I loved movies and I thought I like, and then I got to film school and I, you know, all these kids I went with, um, or students rather, most of them had um, undergraduate film educations. I did not. And I realized that there was like a whole, and it, there was like a whole trove of things I missed out on and was trying to catch up. And it was a little intimidating because uh, I think, you know, for me to reference B movies and like my, my favorite films of that era kind of thing, then there's some, a lot of people I know who could just read me a riot act on, French new wave or God knows what other movement that I don't even, I'm not even aware exists. Um, so I don't know. I think I would, to curate a film festival, I, I think like you mean from, uh, I mean that if someone is listening to this right now and they were like, Holy shit, this sounds really, this sounds neat. This sounds neat. I'd like to learn more about this stuff. I'd like to learn uh, more about some of these B movies or maybe some of the older classics that really influenced Josh or reprisal or things like that. If someone was kind of, you know, what would be the, what would be the appetizer? Um, yeah, well, you know, for reprisal specifically, it was a lot of, um, a lot of film noir that I, um, was really, really drawn to. And I would say specifically, uh, these are more well-known names, but who knows? Um, the killers was a great one. Uh, the third man, um, to have and have not. And, and what I had a lot of fun doing, I don't know how much of it, um, came across, to, but to have and have not was a big one just because like, like there are there are lines from these different movies that I would that I would just pull and give to characters to in, in reprisal as like as homage and reference. Um, I'm trying to think like what there was Netflix was doing this thing too for a while that I'm talking about with like the library of um, B horror movies, but I don't know if it's like if there are specific titles I can go off like like that's the thing, man. Like I idolize Tarantino, but also I'm like wildly sort of like oh man like that guy if you read any forum he he puts online like that guy can just he's like a, he's like a film encyclopedia and i don't know if i'm as much that i think like i consume a lot but then it's like unless it's had like a really profound impact i um can't reference it but what i would say is go on amazon dig into the sort of like exploitation uh if it looks like it's going to be corny from the 70s just watch it go into it blind you know um and, and dig in because you never know where these sort of smaller kernels of ideas are going to come from, I think. Um, but also I don't, how do you break it down? I mean, there's like, there's a sort of vibe to them that you don't get, you know, like you can feel that they were just trying to get this move, get it together. You know, like they were just trying to make a movie and 
and they were up against it. And I don't know, I guess you could feel the challenges of filmmaking when you watch these old movies like that, you know? So it's like, I don't see them as like, oh man, they're so bad. I think it's like, oh man, it's hard to make movies and, and, the, and it shows in these you can see films, it. you know, you can like see hard cuts or like, you know, missing reels, whatever it may be. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun to be had. In it. Um, it, you can see it in, in the work too, because I, I'm a film noir fan. I definitely do not feel like I have the extensive yeah. knowledge. I feel like if this were Jeopardy, I would absolutely uh, kind of abdicate to you a little bit on it. But like one of my favorite movies growing up was Brick. That thing like rocked my world to see mm -hmm. so many things that were old, made new again, um, changed to a different world. But there is something, I feel like you can feel the influence of what you're talking about in, in reprisal, in, in the gangs, in the ghouls, in the monster yeah. ring, and all these different things that bring a certain sense of play and fun that often is not in noir. Noir mm -hmm. is often so stark. And, and to find that enjoyment, that little bit of candy that kind of gets put in there, that little bit of fun, I think really pops against something that's so traditionally black and white. Well, that was one thing I was actually really uh, weirded out by when, when we got a few, we didn't, you know, when, when the reviews started coming in for reprisal, and, and most of them weren't very favorable, which is fine, but it was like they would, uh, a few of them would really, really harp on the idea that like our log line consisted of being like a hyper noir, like film noir. And they'd be like, this isn't film noir, because film noir has like long shadows. And it was just like, all right. You know, I mean, if that's your, you know, like, if you're going to be um, writing a review based on whether yeah, the log I guess line that's, I guess that's fine. in the cinematography. Yeah. And, and I guess like, you know, maybe we should be more specific that we're heavily influenced by it. I don't know. But um, I think what I always, how I did always pitch the show was um, I always wanted it to be an ensemble piece. And I wanted it, if we looked at it as four storylines, um, Doris, Ethan, uh, Joel and Meredith, I wanted each one to be influenced by a different era of 20th century pop culture, which was really, which were eras that like, that I, that really speak to me and that I'm a fan of. So like, you know, Doris, it was all like Bacall and Bogey, right? Like to have and have not, it was Casablanca. It was, that's not Bacall. But you Earl know I mean? even like calls that out. I want to be your Bogey. I, that was one of my favorite lines, the entire script of just the, the, the reference of it mixed with the vulnerability of, cause like, doesn't every man want to be someone's bogey? I yeah. mean, like that's just, yeah. Oh God. I, well, and I think, well, you know, what's funny about that line is it was originally in the scene in the pilot when they're meet, when they meet in the car at the drive-in, um, we had to cut it and, and we just found a place for it to be. But so yeah, exactly that. I think like even her exchange with big Graham, which gets really violent in the pilot, like, that that moment where you know he he slaps her and he's like she's like you know he's like what are you gonna do with all that money she's like i'm gonna buy a new hat like i literally lifted those lines from to have and have not because to me that was the most exciting thing was like this love letter to um to to films of that era that i was very oh uh his kind of woman is another good one and um the hell is the uh, out of uh, all through the night is another one that uh, anyway now I'm just gonna be throwing references at you all through the podcast no, but, but um, I'm excited I feel like we can I can get a whole list together I can yeah or you know so then uh, so if Doris was very influenced by the sort of like um, noirs but also melodramas of the 40s and 50s and 30s as well then like I looked at um, uh, Ethan and the, the River Phoenix as being like you know. Um, very, very, yeah, inspired by 
like I was, I was a huge fan of not only like River Phoenix, but also his whole um, that that whole era of like what the sort of what that sort of like seventies guerrilla movement of filmmaking, you know, that everyone talks about, like the, the golden era of cinema. What it, what kind of bled into the eighties that I always thought like with like Rumblefish and and like sort of how those guys started moving into um, into their work, like and then gave way to uh, like Gus Van Sant's early earlier work and whatnot like but just that sort of era of um i'm trying to think of like some other examples like the outsiders or uh, uh streets of fire which everybody which I, that one i was i was surprised really got um a lot of a lot of uh people picked up on that one on on, on in on the internet but um yeah so then revolving it around but like coming up with a a motivated and like how is it how is it natural to this world that they're called the three river Phoenixes? You know, it's not like a reference in the story to river Phoenix, but it was, um, it was, uh, an homage on my end, which I, I had a friend warn me about that years ago and I kind of, um, brushed him off, but we got, a, there was a little, there was a little heat in, in, in some message boards about, about using river Phoenix's name. Um, which, what can you do? I, you know, I, that wasn't the intention, but, um, and then, you know, so then, yeah, so Joel and the brawlers being very inspired by these exploitation motorcycle films of the seventies, but like, you know, we've all seen biker gangs and I was like, and I grew up loving hot rods and cars, um, and particularly this rat rod culture that's out there, which is exactly like, um, uh, they, they build these, you know, the frame is, is, is rusted and beat up, but like the engine is just powerful and invincible almost. And, and I, I looked at that and was like, well, that would be cool to kind of take like the foundation of a biker gang, but like, why are they rat rods? And, and the idea that like, well, maybe this gang came together um, and, and, and kind of made rat rods their thing because of that whole thing of like being rough and beat up on the surface, but always having that like sort of, um, powerful driven heart or whatever you want to call it i don't know that's a little I mean, corny, I, feel like but... that's, I feel like that's the way rodrigo shows up i mean oh that, yeah that giant gray beard or something <laughs> on the outside that, that on him it does play tough but if that feature was like removed like yeah. a mr potato head feature like a beard yeah. you don't think of that as something that's like all powerful it feels kind of grizzled and out of control but then it's on this it's framed on this human who is just going 200 miles an hour Right. At all times. I mean, howling at the moon between takes and like just roaring <laughs> to go. And it feels like he is one of those. Yeah. Rodrigo and I have this joke because he would like every now and then, not every now and then, rather often when we were in production, our scripts would go out. I'd get a text from home. It's like, hey, man, can you just hop on the phone for like five minutes? I promise only five minutes. And I was just like, why do you even bother saying you promise only five minutes? It's always going to turn in to two hours. And, and by the way, it's not like I, and he would always be like, no, I'm sorry. I know you're busy. I'm like, no, do I, I like it. Like I, we would get on the phone and talk for hours. Quick break to tell you about a few things near and dear to my heart. First up, the movie I Will Make You Mine, the film from last week's guest Lin Chen, is available on Video On Demand services on Tuesday, May 26th. So please support her. Watch that beautiful film. You can find it everywhere. Um, also, if you haven't yet, please join the JRS Happy Hour Conversations Facebook page to hear about upcoming happy hours. We do those every Tuesday from 4 to 5. They're free. Um, you can also see replays of previous ones. This week coming up, we have 
Gloria Calderon Kellett, the showrunner of One Day at a Time and just a total delight as a human being. So please, uh, it's free to register. It happens on Tuesday. Join the Facebook group and uh, sign up. And last plug, I promise, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we mentioned Jenna Doolittle and her Actors Rise newsletter and Facebook group. Uh, please subscribe and check out what she's doing. The resources she's offering actors are just out of this world, and it's free. So check it out, Actors Rise. And now, back to Josh. Because um, you had a million questions, which were, which were great, because you really, you know, you really brought it. Um, and then the last one was uh, the pinups being very, like, so I am obsessed with, like, the Roaring Twenties and just that idea of, like, these, the flapper sort of showgirl aesthetic that was always, you know, that was so prevalent back then. And But I wanted to kind of, like, infuse this, like, punk rock edge to it. And then the idea for burlesque rather than um, just it being a strip club, which that was a thing, like, when reviews would be like, oh, yeah, these guys run a strip club, I'd be like, oh, man, like, they didn't pick up on the fact that it wasn't. A strip no, it's club. burlesque. There's it's so burlesque. much more art to that. There's so much more. So much more art. And, and sexy and fun about burlesque in a way where a lot. The strip club makes me think of Tony Soprano at the Bada Bing and these just like sad, yeah, people kind of just yeah. getting through it. There's exactly. so, there so much art and pizzazz and pop. Exactly. Banger. Right um, and then yeah, centering that around Meredith. Anyway, it to me it was like that's why it was such a dream to be able to make this show was because I was able to just build this playground that I never that I never, that I think I never really thought, uh, or certainly not for my first outing as a showrunner, I'd get an opportunity to do, you know? So that, that segues nice. So when did the idea first, like when did the first notions of this really start to come together as a show? Cause I'm sure disparate threads or characters or moments might've floated around, but when did reprisal yeah. really start to come together as a concept for you? Yeah. So what is this 2020? So around, 2009, 2010, uh, when I was still in grad school, I was getting ready to get out, um, is when the idea started coming. But it was always like, you know, like one of my top priorities is to eventually get into the director chair. Like I went to, I went to school for directing. And um, um, so it was the idea of like everybody at that time, TV wasn't the thing that it was. So everybody was sort of like, I remember uh, all the talk among all my classmates was like, yeah, like how do we, when do we get out of here? Like, how do we get our free feature up? How do we get our feature up? You know? And, um, so it was all about like either teaming with a writer to figure out what your feature was going to be, or, you know, fortunately it being a, a writer yourself, which I was, and many people were, but my point is, um, yeah. So there were a few different things I was writing to kind of come up with that. And it was, it, it started as being an idea for a feature that I was going to write and like, that I knew would be big and I knew I we would have to be like, if I were so fortunate as to start, you know, get my directing career started, this would be like the second or third uh, thing that I would, you know, if all else went well. Um, and so disparate threads, I think that's, that's a good way of putting it in terms of how everything came together. But it, there came a point where like, um, I was going to write it as a feature, but I just never got it started, never got it started. And I remember a friend of mine saying to me like, you talk about this one idea, you have a whole lot, but you're always writing these other things. Like, are you ever going to write that? I was like, yeah, I don't know. And, um, and then TV started to really sort of become, become what it's become, which, you know, if you remember, I mean, and I don't, TV is so massive now, you know, like it is like, you can't, you can't keep track of everything. And th there's like 7 billion shows on the air, but 10 years ago, wasn't really, what it is now and and really i personally think it, it the, the advent started to kind of come with uh 
the success of Breaking Bad and Netflix and whatnot. But like, anyway, anyway, you want to look at it. But um, so basically, I had this idea for a feature, but having all, just in my head for all these years, all these years, I started building up Joel and building up Doris and Meredith and Ethan and just like more and more ideas. And, and then anyway, so I was a writer's PA on a television show. And um, uh, I think I remember one of the writers or was it my manager who was like, yeah, well, you know, you can get a job as a writer. Like that was when I first started to understand like the television writing process. I was like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. It's not just like, it's not just Vince Gilligan who goes and writes all of Breaking Bad. It's, um, they have a team of writers and people get hired into those positions. Um, I was like, oh, okay, well, and they're like, and then I remember someone telling me like, yeah, traditionally at the time you have to write a spec script of an existing TV show. I never liked that idea. I didn't, I didn't understand it. I was like, well, how the hell do you write something that, you know, runs parallel or like somehow gets into a, um, fits into the storyline of this show. But then I realized like, Oh, that's a very serialized way of thinking. The idea of writing a spec script is, um, uh, antiquated in the sense that like, you know, you used to be able to do that for Seinfeld or friends or the story that I've always heard of the great spec script was, uh, yeah. Well, the one that I always heard was the Seinfeld one where, um, Elaine hooked up with Bill Clinton. Oh, I didn't hear about that. I remember who it is. There's some, writer who that was their like ticket in was the whole thing was you never actually were going to see bill clinton in the episode it's gonna be done like oh really it was gonna be done like um steinbrenner or something but right. she was like i fucking did it yeah <laughs> uh that's amazing um well so but then i basically someone was like no 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 you write your own idea your own pilot and i realized like oh i you know had no idea i was very familiar with feature structure i had no idea about pilot structure researched it and then i was just sort of like oh well you know what I never called it reprisal initially, but like what, um, what became a I was like, yeah, this, I have so many ideas for this. All you really have to do is like, what's fun about writing a pilot is just sort of be like to be continued. And, and I was like, well, this is perfect. Cause like, if I'm going to write something that is, uh, indicative of my voice, like this would be the perfect thing to write. And then, yeah, it was, I think from, I remember when I first wrote it, the very first thing I wrote which was a special day on set on the pilot for me was, was the scene when Air, Meredith enters big bank, the uh, birds banger. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, um, it was a lot of fun to sort of, uh, to see that come to life 10 years later, you know, but, um, or maybe at that point it was, I guess pilot wise, it was maybe seven or eight, but whatever. Um, yeah. So I wrote it as a pilot and then also, simultaneously I was, so I was working on a TV show, wrote it as a pilot and sent it to my manager. And he was like, you know, and it started, we started going back and forth on it. I think a lot of the things that like, I don't know if he fully got it at first. I think, I think like, uh, he was like, you know, what are the, who are these guys with these cars? Like, and by the way, I think that's probably how the, the world, the world processed it too. Anybody who watched the show probably felt the same way, but, um, but I, I said, like, no, I'm like, no, if this is just going to be a sample to get staff somewhere on an, on an existing TV show, like, I, it needs to be what I want it to be. And then honestly, man, so it went, it, it went from there. It, and it wasn't an overnight thing, obviously. It was like him and I went back and forth on it. There came a point where I sort of dug my feet in and was like, this is it. This is the, this, the pilot. Go forth or don't. I don't know. I got to move on. Uh, but eventually he did. Um, 
we we got I got an agent off it and then um yeah it was like I again was like um I remember when I met with this the, the agency uh paradigm they were like yeah so look man we're gonna try to sell this and get it made and I was just like okay but no one's gonna make you know like no one's gonna make this show like what do you sure but can you get me a job also yeah they're like, yeah, 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 we'll try. You know, that's going to be, you know, that's really hard. It's, it's coveted. It's hard to get, and it's true. It's hard to get staffing jobs. But, um, and then, yeah, it just kept going. I, it, it was, it was very, you know, so then they called me up uh, after a month or two and they're like, Hey, we went out with it. Some people want to hear your pitch. And I was like, um, well, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Right. And they're like, yeah, you know, like, what's the show going to be? I was like, Oh, right, right. And then it was just like sort of trial by fire every step of the way. I was like, oh, okay, well now we got to, figure out this entire show. Cause for me, it was like, she goes and kills five brawlers and then it's over. Um, and so, but it was a lot of fun. I think that's where they really, um, my agent, this guy, Matt Snow, he's, he's a really talented dude. And we were able to do a lot of spitballing back and forth. And I really came up with what it could be. But then eventually, um, A&E optioned it, the studio, A&E studios optioned it. Um, and then it just again, it, we you know Warren Littlefield came on board, and then um, eventually it got to Hulu. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy in terms of like when I look back on it again. Um, I think when I woke up the morning of the first day of production on the pilot, I was just like, I, I remember I had this like mini flash in the pan panic attack because I was just like thinking about all the work we did to like come up with the Brawlers logo, and then, and I was like, what am I doing? This is I'm wasting someone's money. Like, this is crazy. This is not going to work. Like what? Like, cause I really was like, again, it wasn't like I wrote the pilot and then the next day it was, I think like from the first draft to first day of production was probably, that's 2000. That was probably like six years, you know, but like, I just, I never thought anybody would, would let me build and make a place called Burst Bangrang you know, amongst many others. And, and also it, it was really, it was really cool that like everybody just really bought into it. You know, I think, um, yeah, anyway, I don't know. Was, did I answer? I, I went off again. I go I on tangents. I, well, I have so many questions from that because you hit so many interesting things along the way. And I feel like sure. some, I got to put a pin in and some, I got to, some, I got to follow up on. Ask away. Yeah. What is it like when you find out fucking Warren Littlefield wants to help make your show? I mean, to me, that's like, it's one thing if it's somebody I've never heard of before, but then you have the person who's like made the handmaid's tale who says you, you're, you're next. Yeah. Like what, what is that like? And what is someone with that kind of uh, track record or, or experience? What is that? What is the, every producer is obviously going to bring a lot of benefit to it, but what happens when you have a legend coming in like that? I feel like that's got to be yeah. some kind of experience with its own intimidations and its own uh, incredible benefits. It's actually, it's really funny because, uh, so again, I did not know a whole lot about television at the top of all this. And, um, so, uh, A&E optioned it. And then about, I think we, I had like our, our first creative meeting with A&E and we're going back and forth on strategy and they called me about a week later and they were like, Hey, um, do you know who Warren Littlefield is? And I was like, no, like, I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't know who it was. I didn't, you know, and they were like, oh, okay, well, um, they're like, well, don't like, just don't Google them or anything. Um, they're like, Which of course you're like, okay, I'm going to Google him right now. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, he, he produces Fargo. And actually I had never seen the show Fargo and I was like, oh, okay. You know? And, um, they're like, we're going to, you know, he, they read it and they're interested. They want to meet. And I was like, sure. And I think 
we had our meeting. It was with uh, Warren's team, which is um, Ann Johnson. Otherwise, everyone calls her AJ. And then um, Graham Littlefield, his son. And, and they just, they were just very, very cool. You know, it was a very easy meeting. It was, and I think a lot of it too, I just didn't really go into it with a sort of like, oh man, you know, I, I don't know. To me, here's the thing. My strategy for this entire thing, and I think, and, and, and at least in, in terms of self-preservation was every step that came, I was like, this is the only step I'm going to focus on. Like, I'm not going to worry about, you know, if this is going to succeed or not, I'm just going to worry about. So like, you know, any option did it's like, and they wanted uh, a show Bible. Okay. I'm just going to focus on this. Who knows what's going to happen? Meeting with Warren Littlefield. I don't know if he's going to say yes or no. Either way, you know, it doesn't matter beyond like, I'm cool. It's cool. I got to this point. So it's just like focusing on the work in the moment and not worrying about whether it's going to pay off or not. Um, but my, so anyway, again, though, I guess, I guess with that as a way of saying that, like keeping the stakes low in my head. Um, and it seems like you're good at showing up to the work, right? It seems like you have a daily routine where you're able yeah. to sit down churn out some amount of work. And is there kind of a belief that if I show up every day, that that is the job and that, it will take care of itself as yeah, I but also, also, I think it's important not to put too much pressure on yourself in terms of like, like, look, I have plenty of days where I sit right here and I stare at final draft and nothing happens. And then maybe I start watching TV uh, at 3 PM instead of 9 PM, you know, and, and that's okay. I, I think you don't want to make, you don't want you, you, the hope is that it's not a daily thing, but I read a lot of things where it's like, if you want to be a writer, you got to write every single day. It's like, relax. I mean, because like the problem is if you if you hold yourself to that standard, then you're focusing on the wrong things. And that's just a personal belief. There's a whole screenwriting Twitterverse that I'm sure would disagree with me. But like, um, so my point is, is that meeting with Warren, I didn't know who he was. And then um, uh, I knew Fargo was popular. That was the extent. Of, and at the time, by the way, Handmaids hadn't come out. Um, Fargo, holy fuck. I mean, right. So, so, so then what happened was uh, I did Google them after the meeting and I was like, Oh, I see. <laughs> um, but honestly, it, it was never, those guys are so cool, man. And, and we got along so well that it never felt, it never felt at all. You know, it, we very quickly fell in line as, as I, and it's, it's really weird to think about it now because we're coming up on four years later and I'm so close to all three of them that I, I it's like when people, so people ask me that a lot. I get that a lot. Like, man, what's it like Warren Littlefield? I'm just like, Warren is Warren. I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's like a, but that said, um, looking back on the process, I mean, look, it wasn't intimidating because they were so cool and welcoming. So that part was out of the way. Sure. And then they're just very good at what they do. And they're very, um, creative and constructive and um, very mild manner. And it was just a great collaboration, you know? And then I think um, shortly after that, so they came aboard and then I think I watched all of Fargo. It's like, Oh yeah, these guys are, you know, they've got their, um, they have a taste that is important. And, and it was, um, yeah. So I don't, I mean, look, it wasn't some big glamorous moment when Warren came on, but it's been a, it was a one, it turned into a wonderful relationship, you know? So there's something that I feel like I learned about just leadership from Graham. I remember when he called me 
this is actually another question I have. Did it ever feel, did production ever feel snake bit for you? Because when I first got involved, I fly out to North Carolina. Yeah. I'm, I'm supposed to show up on set. And then I hear that, uh, that a balcony has fallen down on yeah. Yeah, in one of the places. So I'm going back home. Oh, okay, cool, cool. I, I can do it. We come back and then it's the tree that cracks when yeah. we're like five minutes into shooting the first scene. And so then we're gone again. And then it's the bees. And I remember getting the phone call from him about the bees that are, that yeah. are swarming everybody and taking everybody away from set. And I'm thinking, this guy sounds just so okay with this. I mean, yeah. like, I'm just thinking like how much money has this got to be costing them and to like try to even just shoot one scene and you know three different yeah. kind of times and he was just like well you know we're gonna get some guys out they're gonna take care of that then we gotta get the arborist out here and they're gonna let us know but we'll be back to it and and the fact that it wasn't such an event was really calming for me kind of coming into this but it also told me something about like oh there are people who who do this who who understand that like the shit needs to keep going, yeah. things will happen. And there was something really like, like a balm to my soul about that of just like, oh, this is, we're in very good hands here. And that yeah. felt nice um, to just be like, well, I don't quite know how it's going to work out, but it will. And that, yeah. yeah. That, that uh, snake bit is in cursed, you mean? I guess like, did, because I remember just being there and being like, I, will this building like be standing? Yeah, I know, I know. There was something about that location that just was cursed. I don't know. Uh, yeah. we had They also said that to me. I actually, yeah. the AD said, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never had a single day canceled. Now I've had two of them and both of them have been your first day, Brian. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. And then the next time I came, there was the lightning that kept shutting us down. And they were like, you, you brought this with you because it yeah. was yesterday. <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy because I think, well, look, again, for a lot of that, I wasn't there, but I obviously, uh, as the showrunner and uh, I was affected by it daily. And it, yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, you get a call. And it's like, uh, you're working, I was working on whatever script. And then it's like, um, hey, this happened and we're losing this day. And you're kind of like, okay. And I don't know, I guess like I had, I had written, um, I think writing in production, it's just such an entirely different thing because all of a sudden it's like the parameters of reality start to close in, you know? And on any given day, yeah, a tree could fall, bees could swarm, um, and you have to adapt. and you know, otherwise, like, there's like no other option. You have to figure something out. And I think when things like that happen, you know, it's very similar to, um, maybe it's like when you ask me how I'm doing during the pandemic, right? Like I am someone who, who can come up with things in my head and worry about things that aren't real, uh, over and over again. Like I've been doing it my whole life, but then something real I'm faced with. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think everyone's brains go into a sort of like, you know, okay, how, I got to survive. I got to deal with this. Like, how am I going to problem solving? Problem solving. You know, it's like any anxiety that comes with it comes in the peripheral or comes, you know, expected. That's a tangent for sure. But my point is that, um, I don't know if I felt the production was snake, but we definitely had a lot of challenges, but I think we pulled, I think we pulled off a lot. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I credit it to that entire crew in Wilmington, you know, I mean, like everyone kept showing up the next day, even though nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, it was, it was wild. 
Well, and the, and the spirits stayed high the entire time too, which was just, it made it a really lovely place to go to work. It might be two in the morning and still, you know, humid as yeah. all get out, but there are people who are like, do you see the fucking world that we're getting to create here? Yeah. And, and the, the characters we get to play and the cars we get to drive and these cool tattoos. I mean, just the vibe of that was, um, was just a really fun thing to get to join into kind of midstream and be like, oh, this is... I got invited to be at a cool club here. <laughs> like, I, I, if I could go back, I, 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 I do not like that I wasn't there more. And, and it wasn't, it was just, you know, things were moving so fast out here that it would, it, every, every time it was like, okay, I can go to Wilmington for two weeks. Three days later, it was like, no, actually looking at the schedule. Because once post got, became a thing, it was crazy. And then, because um, I've written on, on set before and, and that was my plan, but it just kept, my point is, is that yeah, like it was, it was cool to hear um, from everybody that uh, how just how how warmly I don't know I guess how, how how much everyone enjoyed being on that set you know and and which was great especially considering the circumstances that uh, that we faced often. Well, I feel like there was just a lot of really good top down leadership on that whether it's people like you know Graham and the way they are interacting with us amidst like cancellations and things like that letting yeah. us know that it's all gonna be fine. Abigail, who every single scene, there's this focus on like, we're going to figure this thing out, which is making sure that everybody's on task, but she's also singing and she's yeah. having a blast at that time. And, and there's the spirit of collaboration that feels inherent to it. And then you have Jonathan who just seems to have the energy of like a 13 yeah. year old. It's and crazy. it's just like, it doesn't matter what time it is or what challenges going on. He doesn't seem that stressed and he seems to be like, really actively enjoying his job, which is the thing yeah. we all do, but you can forget it so easily when you have, you know, one of those 16 hour days and just to have that. And you could see the, I always just like when I wasn't working just to go and see the shot that was being put together. Cause every single time it looked like a painting and you're just like, Oh yeah, this is, this is the thing that we're making here. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And cool. Yeah. And it's neat. And that, I don't know, that was always, the ability for the morale to feel just like continuously on the upswing was a really like a beautiful, was a beautiful thing to come to. Cause I don't know, you sometimes, especially in LA, I feel like you do a show that's been on the air for like 10 years or something. And there's this like, well, we're, we're here. Yeah. You know, we're going to turn it out and we're, we're happy yeah. we're doing it. But the whole thing is to leave rather. It seemed like people there are like, well, let's, what else are we doing today? What yeah. else we put together? It was really cool, man. It was, you know, it was one thing to be proud of uh, the footage that would come in when I would review dailies and then go into post with it. That, that was cool. But then also just that, like, yeah, it was an experience making it, you know? And I think, uh, I, I don't know. It's one I'm really grateful for. Jason Davis, who played Davey in the show, sent me a really, really nice text. Uh, I think on his last day or something. Um, but he was, he mentioned, I, I, I have to paraphrase the hell out of it because it was a while ago, but I remember him mentioning, you know, that like he knew, uh, that was the other cool thing I enjoyed whenever I'd be out there was um, what is it? It's like Atlanta, North Carolina, and like Louisiana. This sort of like this sort of like East Coast hub uh, or like Southeast hub of like Absolutely. the film industry. And I really, really appreciate that. Like, every, like I remember first day instead of the pilot, I was like, "What have we been doing this for thirty years? Like, why is everyone so comfortable and like everyone knows each other?" It was really, really great. Um, anyway. Um, he mentioned something. He was like, "Yeah, you know, like he knew a lot of the crew member, a lot of the crew members, obviously." And he's like, "And and and to see them as enthusiastic as they were, he's like, is really something special." And I thought that was 
it was great. Uh, I wish there I could have been there more for it, but um, you know. There is such a community out there. Like I had a whole bunch of friends who had worked on Swamp Thing, which was shooting there right beforehand. Um, and so from, I didn't work on that show, but I was told like, say hi to this person, tell them I say hello, they will instantly treat you like family. And every single time that was yeah. exactly the case. Um, I did, well, God, I have a couple more that I want to ask you. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated. That's as many as you want, by the way. I have no, uh, I have no, I, oh, that's it's Sunday, I think. You know, so <laughs> this is your show, man. Day it is. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I've got a bunch. Um, showrunner. I feel like yeah. that is a, a title a lot of people know. That's a, it's a word that I feel like didn't exist in the same way like 15 years ago. I feel right. like the, the Vince Gilligans and the Matt Weiners of the world have really kind of created a kind of lore and legend around that and obviously many, many more. What do you feel like you wish you had known? Like if you could, if you could talk to Josh you know, right before the start of this and you can be like, here's three things yeah. that you wish you're going to know. What would they, what would they be? Cause I'm, I'm fascinated at what the learning curve of such a massive job is. That's yeah. So that, like, it's impossible to have experience with it until you do it too, you know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, boy, I mean, I think number one is like, well, I don't know. I don't want to say I should have, I should, I would have taken less pressure off myself because I think that, that's a slippery slope. I, I had a lot on myself in terms of like, there was something, look, here, here, here was the, here was the, I don't know if it's a problem, but it was the challenge at least internally for me. And I think if I look at how the process went for probably a lot of people involved, um, and that is that like, this was a project that I, again, I, it's not, I believed in it. I just didn't think that I would be so fortunate to see it go through all the way. Uh, so there was that because it was big in scale and very odd, I think, you know, and, and then on top of that, it was something that was in my head for 10 years that I was always like, I'm going to direct this. I'm going to make it. When it got picked up to pilot, my first drop in my gut was, I was like, oh no, just the way things work is that someone else is going to be brought on to direct this. And I was really, really not looking forward to that. You know, I was really like, I don't know. It was miserable, to be honest, at first. And then, so we're meeting with all these directors and I was like spending these meetings, like this is what I want the show to be because I need it. Here's my thing. If I was fighting for it and pushing for it and working so hard on it, I needed it to be a very specific and I needed it to be what I, what I would need, you know, what I wanted it to be, right? Like it, it, it's not only about me, but it was like, I needed to achieve something specific. And then you're talking about um, relying on other people to do that was a very intimidating thing at first and or not intimidating i would say very uncomfortable and um and so that was what was so great about when we first met with jay was um you know all these other meetings i was like this is what i should think it should be and these guys would be like okay but jay gave me my he was like this is how i you know this is what i got from the script and i was like oh this guy gets it but i had a very honest conversation with jay which was uh you know and he i think he picked up on it early on just from reading the script, but I was like, look, I hate that someone else is directing this. You know, I mean, it, was, it sounds like a harsh thing to say, but I, I it's honest it though. It's it honest. honest. And, it's like, and, how are you going to have that relationship with him if you're holding on to that the whole time? Yeah. And yeah. So I don't know where I'm going with that in terms of, I guess, I guess my point is, is that like, um, if I could go back the one of the biggest things would be like, I went into tone meetings sort of being like, okay, this is a chance for tone meetings are like, a, you know, um, showrunner sits down with the director of that episode. And uh, I think Jay and I had done that so extensively on the pilot 
uh, on a daily basis leading up to it production and then in production um, that I got used to just sort of like being like, yeah, Jay, Jay's going to get it. Like what he turns in is going to be, you know, and then I think when other directors came on board, it was like just needing to be a little more thorough because things would come back and I'd be like, wait a minute, you know, and especially as like we got into the intensity of, um, of like having to, to turn scripts in while also balancing the production schedule. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think like what else it's a tough one. Cause I feel like when I talk to people about the whole first time show or anything, I'm like, I feel like there's a world of lessons learned. And I wonder if it's just that I'm, I don't know how to break it down for you. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if it's something that's so, I think it's like things to anticipate things to prepare for, you know, going into the next roundabout, but. Well, one um, thing I've heard you say a couple of times is you wish you'd been there more. Do you think that there was something that you could have done or a way you could have structured your workflow or insisted upon that would have gotten you there? Or is that more like a, God damn, I wish, I wish, but there was no fucking way it was going to happen. It's 50, 50. It, on one hand, all my, so I worked on a show, um, for three years beforehand, uh, startup called, called right. startup. Yeah. And we shot in Puerto Rico and everybody was there. Like everybody was there down to the editors were there. And I was there every day and I became this, like I was, you know, a writer, but I was on set pretty much every day. And then when we started doing splinter units, I would go to, uh, another one of my best friends who was a showrunner on that, Ben Kitai, when he, he directed, uh, half, I think half of every season when he would have to direct, but there'd be a splinter unit, I'd go to that. So I got into a habit of um, being very comfortable with writing on set, you know, um, but we had a different schedule on startup, but, um, but I also just, I think I saw firsthand the benefit of the uh, showrunner and if not the showrunner, a writer producer um, being there to, to get it, to get it across. Cause look, I think when you're dealing with other creatives, they're going, they're creative. They're going to, you know, they're going to do things that need to, uh, that however they see fit in terms of making their dates, whatever their, their rationale may be. Um, I guess for me on one hand, it was that like, I wish I was there to be more specific in the moment on things, you know, cause things would come back sometimes and you're like, Hey, that's not hot. You know, that's not what was the intention there. Um, yeah, that's not what we wanted the scene to really be about. Right. Something. Fortunately, fortunately, those were not, you know, those were far and few in between. Um, and then I think on the other hand, it, it's just for there to be such a, what, what would you call it? Like a family experience of making that show and to be 2000 miles away was very, very uh, disheartening at times. You know, yeah, it was like, dad, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it kind of was that. And, and also, you know, I didn't, you know, showing up, look, every time I did come to set, it was very like, it, it felt like I never, you know, it, it felt like I, I hadn't um, been gone very long. You know, it felt like it, you know, it never left basically. But, um, but then I, I've listened to a lot of like interviews with other showrunners and it's apparently, I was always like, this is, what is this? Like, why aren't we like on startup? It was this way. Why is this not this way? Um, but then it, ter it turns out that startup was the, um, the odd one there because I guess I, I listened to a lot of interviews with showrunners and they're like, yeah, uh, we're in the writer's room while production is happening on the other side of the world or whatever, you know? And, um, I don't know. I, uh, yeah. We'll take it. I try, I trail on that one. Sorry. I'll, no, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm going to yeah. ask a selfish question for a second. Um, when did the idea to have 
two clerks by the same actor show up because I remember showing up the first day and them being like, we have this mustache. We just want to like kind of try on you. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's, let's do this, but tell me more about this. And, it, and I'm just curious. Cause that's, um, I mean, it's a decision not a lot of shows make a lot of the time. And so yeah. I'm curious, was that, you know, I know that you had Bethany do that in the pilot, um, which, you know, I don't think was your initial plan, but kind of. Oh, in 102. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 102. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just curious about how that decision got made and how I got to be the lucky beneficiary of that. Yeah. Uh, well, look, it comes down to, um, I think that's kind of, I guess, like the one thing about being in the writing process while also being in production and trying to play catch up the whole time is that, yeah, these ideas that come up, like I remember hearing Bethany on your podcast uh, talking about how like um, things would come in scripts down the road that would, uh, that she wished she would have known. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was talking about, I don't even remember, po- I, I'll, I'll call it point A. I thought she was talking about, uh, or, or character trait A. And then um, I text her after listening to that. I was like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I go, if it's any consolation, that didn't come to me until the moment. And then she goes, Oh, I was actually talking about point B. And I was like, Oh, well also that, that didn't come to me until the moment. <laughs> you know, I think in a perfect world, you have a year to, to write these things. And then, um, and then the following year you shoot it. And then that way you can tweak it. However, from what I understand, I, I, from what I believe, I don't think that that, I think that's a very rare I don't think it's really a television gets to be made. One hundred percent. Unless you're optioning it off of a book and the things are already yeah. written, and even you, then, you're probably still going to be. You, you just don't have that luxury. So, but in, a, in a, I think I think also to that point, there's something actually really exciting about it too. You know, is that the is that we're constantly evolving, but we're um, we're making it work. So, to your question, uh, yeah. Well, first off, and I'm not just saying this to um, to wax your car, like. If, if, if the, if what you brought to the clerk was just another clerk, um, you know, even though he was written very specifically, but you brought your own thing to it and, and, and it was very, very enjoyable to watch. Had that not been a, had that not been the case, I mean, I don't think it would have ever turned into what it turned into. Um, but it was, it was such a, it was such a fun moment to watch you and, um, uh, Bethany that scene when she comes and asks for the coffee and whatnot. And, and I, yeah, we were in the writer's room and we were talking about the fun of pillows and pints being the same place as donuts and duvets and being like, okay, well, what are we trying to say there? You know? And for me, it came from the idea of like, uh, um, yeah, you go on the road again and you just see these places that just, they have different signs, but it, they're ultimately, the they, they seem more place. Like, it's the same place. And, and coming up with the idea that like, this is literally the same place, but a different name, and it's just somewhere down the road. And then, yeah, I, I, someone, one, of the, one of my writers was like, the same guy should play him. You know? And I was like, that'd be awesome, just a little different. And, um, and it was great. You know? and, I, and, and honestly, the, the, the plan was, uh, well, I shouldn't even say this, that's unfair, but the plan was that, to keep that going. You know? um, but yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, it was. Do you have a whole fun. bunch more of, because um, it was pillows and pints and donuts. Yeah. And Did we have more alliteration product yeah. and, and bedwear? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, one of them was like jerky and jammies. And I thought it'd be fun if like, 
if like instead of beer or instead of donuts, it was like strips of jerky, various meats. I will tell you, I've spent a while trying to brainstorm what these could have been, and jerky yeah. and jammies never anywhere on. See, and this is oh, why you do what my, you do. Our writer's, God, I love system, that. Our, our writer's system had a really good one. I can't remember what it was. Would the um, facial hair have kept changing too? Just like a Probably unibrow one time. And well, and then, you know, and then by the way, and then there's a lot of fun things in terms of, um, uh, of how these things are improvised and, and played into. One of my favorites actually involves you as well was, um, I can't remember why Emily, our costume designer, it was my fault, but I can't remember why I gave her the, like she thought the character's name at Pillows and Pines was going to be Flip. Right. Yes. <laughs> so she made she made a shirt that said flip and then I named you uh something else entirely, uh Lenny. Yeah. And she I remember she texted me because like, you know, she was like I thought his name was gonna be flip. I was like, just roll with it, it'll be fun. And then that's why I wrote that line that was like, your name flip is Lenny. You know, and like, you know, and by the way, I think like that's the kind of like inside joke that like I you don't expect the audience to get, obviously, they're not. but it's also not distracting. There's something that like felt organic about it, you know, and fun in our world in terms of like, this guy is sort of jaded working at this place, the multiple versions of him in this very Twilight Zone way. And, and it's like, you know what? He chose to wore a shirt from an old coworker or yep. his dad, who knows? But like- Maybe he oh, killed Flip and buried him in the back. You just don't yeah, know. And I, exactly, and, and the way he says it's Lenny is telling Joel and the rest of us, like, it's none of your business. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's just go on with the scene. And I think like finding moments like that is fun. You know, it's something too that like, I, when we threw out the idea of like, we're gonna make, um, we're gonna make the, it the same clerk, I was, I always approach those things going like, well, the network's not gonna, you know, they're gonna balk at it. Yeah. And that's, I have to, again, I have to, I have to say like one thing that was, I'm, I'm so grateful for, and that was really great working with Hulu was that I would throw all these crazy ideas at them. And oftentimes uh, one of the execs there, we have this, we had this ongoing joke because it was, he believed it, but it was just, I always thought it was funny because like his response to things like that were never like, they were never like, well, do you think that's going to work? You know, they never questioned it. It was always like, this is how he always said it. He was just like, Hey man, it's your show. And, and there's a freedom to that, but there's also this like, you're like, wait a minute. All of a sudden you feel like, but that you're not necessarily saying it works. You're not necessarily saying it doesn't work. You're just leaving it to me. And, 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 and you just, all you, buddy. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, rock and roll, you know? Like, um, <laughs> so uh, this is as good in my head as it is in real life. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that's how it came about. You know, it's these things that were, so funny. It, uh, and then, yeah, I think from your perspective of it being not, not pre-planned, um, there's gotta be, and that's, same with Bethany, by the way. I know she told you the story on the on, on I loved episode, her episode though. God, she's fun to talk to. She's just such a such yeah. a smart talent. Um, yeah. But it's the same thing with her. I mean, she was her character was supposed to die at the end of at the end of one oh two, you know, and then And it's hard to imagine I mean, obviously I know the show as it is, but it's hard for me to imagine it without Molly. It feels like she's her her arc as a foil to Doris is yeah. it feels like implicit to the structure somehow and that like yeah. moment when they hold hands in the finale it feels like it's been building to that from the beginning which i think probably says a lot to how good everyone was and adept and talented at creating as you go to to end up making it seem like it was inherent from the get-go I yeah that's a lot of wonderful things about how you guys were creating you know that's that's the one thing i have to say going back to your question about what would i do differently i think anything i would tell 
Josh at the beginning of the show, they're all things that involve plotting of the story and, and, and development of the characters. Not that I'm not happy with how it turned out, but I think just like anything that you create, you are going, you can, you can tweak it and tweak it and tweak it for as long as you are able to tweak it. So a lot of things I look at are like that. But again, I think one of the most astounding experiences was um, it, you know, it was like, I would, I guess it was like, I got familiar with everybody as I got to know them on a personal level, but also would see how they would respond to material. And then I started writing for all the different actors specifically, and it was easy to do that. But to the level of which, you know, I, actors like yourself, by the way, who we never got a chance to ever meet. Like, I think we yeah. first met at the premiere, but you did, I mean, like you, you took the material written for you and just made it, you know, just made it sing. And I think that was like so widespread. Okay. Well, that was true. And it was just so widespread throughout the production that it, it was just really a, uh, it was, it was quite the life experience. I can, I can say that, you know. Can you share, I don't know if it's going to be easy to, to reduce it like this, but was there a highest moment and a lowest moment for you in that when you look back on it? Sure. I'm fascinated by people's highs and lows because to me, it's like often we hear about like, what was the best moment of this for you? And I love hearing that for people, but yeah. I don't feel like it's really fully human because as a, as a creative and somebody who works with creators all the time, it's, 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 it's ebb and flow. It's boom and bust all the time. Even within your yeah. greatest moments, there's a moment of intense doubt. And to me, they, 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 they reveal each other. Uh, going to the high. Um, like I said, when I, when I woke up the first morning of production uh, on the pilot and had that mini panic attack of like, Oh my God, is this, is this ridiculous or does it work? And then getting there and seeing it all play out and being like, Oh no, this is really, really cool. This works. Uh, I think to that, for some reason, and this is nothing in terms of favorites. Um, there was something about, and maybe it's because I, I thought I went a bridge too far with the three river Phoenixes. I thought it was like too much, you know, it was like over the top. And maybe some people who watch the show do feel that way. It doesn't matter to me because at the end of the day, my favorite moment I think was like, I'll never forget London, our uh, location manager on the pilot. She, came up to me the first day we were filming the Phoenixes. And I, you know, when you do the, the whole wardrobe thing, you see the photos and everything and you have to approve them. And, and, and I was very much a part of that. But then there was something about like seeing the three of them arrive uh, their first day on set, full, full wardrobe, full costume. It was just like, I don't know. The first time seeing the three of the Phoenixes together was like a special moment in my career, I think, especially being so young, uh, so young in my career, I think. Um, or so, you know, at, at such an early stage, it, it was just really, it was cool. I was like, oh man, shit, there they are. It's like all of a sudden, whatever, whatever anxiety or the imposter syndrome that everyone in the world feels for like one moment that disappears and you're just like that, that's fucking cool. That's cool. I like that. It's alive and it's yeah. great. Well, I would. <laughs> and you have three phenomenal actors playing those parts too. It was great. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. Talk about I don't. I don't know if the murderers row. I think the self doubt is always going to be there, but at least it, it's, it's, it's like you learn to take the, the small victories and, and really cherish them because that was one of them. I was like, Oh man, okay, cool. That worked, you know, and they really, and they worked and yeah, they played so well together um, throughout the pilot and, and the series. And in low point, I guess another thing that maybe I could go back or, or plays into what I was saying, if I could go back and tell myself like to relax a little bit is just like when I think it's important as like, as someone who, who fought so hard to, 
to, to get the show to be a certain thing. Um, I, you know, and also look was, uh, leading this whole process. Um, when it doesn't work or when I, when I feel like it doesn't work or, you know, when a critic says it doesn't work, whatever it may be, um, I have to, I feel like I have to take responsibility for that, you know? So I think low points would come in multiple sort of like it getting dailies back or something back or whatever it may be that didn't turn out the way it should have. And, um, and, and, and saying to myself, well, you know, like I only have myself to blame and it's something, uh, it's the pressure I put on myself, I believe. And it's something AJ of little Phil company tried to drill into me rightfully. So often she was like, look, as long as you get 90% of what you want, you're golden. But I think for me, it was like always pushing it to be the specific thing. Um, so I don't know if there was one specific low point. Cause I think at the end of the day, like whenever I felt stressed or, you know, really intensely. So I think I just was always like, well, no, no, I'm very grateful to be doing this project, this dream project and making it real. Um, but that said, look, uh, it's not like every day with these things is like, oh my God, reprisal is my dream. And there's this beautiful fanfare through 24 hours a day that like I'm living my dream. No, I'm very, I was very fortunate to be able to bring it to life. But at the end of the day, it's work. You know, it comes with its challenges. Like you talked about the bees and all that. And um, I don't know. I guess low points would just be all the times where I feel like I'm like, oh man, I, if I would have done this, I could have, I could have. It's the doubt. Know. It's, it's, the, the it's that you can't get rid of that voice. And yeah, sometimes and, it wins out a little bit. And I guess to, you know what I'll say? A low point is that like everybody was excited about this show, right? Uh, the crew members, all of us developing it. I mean, everybody up until, well, no, we still are. We're still very proud of it. I think though, and this is a whole other conversation in one way, but I think like, look, it's not, it's not like, like I had people say to me like, and the show's going to be a hit. And I always kind of like, I, it's not, I never bought into that because you never know how these things are going to go. And I also think like the landscape is just so vast in terms of like the amount of content that's out there. And also you never know how things are going to be received. And, but I will say that like, it's not so much that I wasn't bothered by um, any negative reviews or anything, you know, like I think, again, I like the idea that the show is polarizing. Uh, I think like it just, the low point was that it just sort of came and went, you know, like what I mean by that is like, I feel like I would have, I always say like I would have taken 30 more negative reviews if it meant like 30 more outlets talking about the show. So it's more of like a feeling that like, man, we all put so much blood, sweat and tears into this, you know, like we all like, I mean, I, I would go sleepless nights, uh, right. You know, and I just feel like we all worked very, very hard to bring something to life. And, and it just sort of was a blip on the radar. Now, that's not a, you know, that's not a, um, a, a, a pity party or anything. It's, it's, I think that it's like the nature of this business is that every production, you know, is a lot of work and there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it. Um, and people really oftentimes I feel like buy into what they're doing, which they should, you know, that's part of the beauty of being able to do what we do. Um, and, you know, to, degree, to various degrees of reception. And I think, um, I don't know if, I don't know if you can ever, I don't know if, I'm not sure you can ever escape it. I don't know. I, 
be curious to talk to showrunners who have had wildly successful shows and be like, how does it feel when it comes out after you go through hell to make it? Is it this, you know, like, I don't know, is it rewarding? It may not be. I have no idea. But like, I think like I could say that like, there's a part of me that feels like as the person who was like, it needs to be this way. And everybody following me into that sort of like, you know, like following the leader, I, I, I don't want to sound you know arrogant about it, but like no, but you were the captain of the ship. You're the showrunner, captain, you know, captain yeah. of the ship with the little Dom's captain hat. And, <laughs> but I think, um, and 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 I feel there's there are times where I feel like I let people down, and I think you know that's that's a low point. You know, I think um, I think I think to feel like uh, uh, everybody followed my lead, and you know, but at the same time, plenty of people remind me that like, look. I think the 10 episodes we made um, were very, were very special. And, they're know. stunning. I think they're great. I think, I mean, my hope is that, you know, to me, this is the moment. If anybody missed it the first time around, like there's yeah. not a lot of new stuff coming and there's a great thing hidden on Hulu for you to go find. I also, go ahead, please. Well, I was just saying, again, I think there's 7,000 shows on the air. I think it's, I think it's hard for anything to really break out. Unless another reason too, I think why so much of, everything we that's done is based on some sort of IP because there's at least a guarantee whether, you know, there's a guarantee of like a pocket of yeah, some corner of the internet is already obsessed with this and is going yeah. to show up regardless. I, also, I think the show got released. I mean, this is entirely a, a subjective, uneducated point of view on this, but as a, as someone who's also a consumer of these things, I feel like our show came out in an interesting moment where for it feels like the last about four or five years, maybe longer to come out all at once was considered lucky, you know, like, Oh, yeah. we can binge all of this. It's this event and everyone wants to stay at home and just like plow through house of cards, plow through whatever yeah. the show is going to be. And I feel like we're at an interesting moment where I feel like that's starting to shift a little bit where that once a week model is is kind of coming back into vogue and people like the idea of having a longer conversation but i don't know that that was something people could have anticipated or planned but whether it's yeah. um, you know the the monoculture game of thrones which kind of feels obvious but like i don't know about you i'm watching the last dance on espn and just uh, like talk about different episodes of a michael jordan documentary it's like it owns twitter for a week there's this anticipation of what the next one is going to be and it almost feels like we're coming back around on the distribution model a little bit yeah, And I, I, I feel like now the things I'm most likely to miss, no matter how exciting, excited I am about it, can be the things that are like, it is all there, all of the buildup and marketing is for this one moment, and then we're on to the next one. I just, I lose track of some of them now. And I, I feel like that is a new shift in the cultural landscape of how we interact with that. That's no yeah. one really could have anticipated. I don't know how well equipped I am to speak to that. I don't, I don't think I'm very well equipped at all because as I can only speak from the consumer standpoint and man, to be honest with you, this is why I, I there like when my, when my roommate will be like, Hey, we watch, we watch a lot of TV together before we live together. Um, when he's like, Hey, there's a new show we could try out tonight. I get, it's weird. I get this like pit of anxiety. Am I like, Oh man, because like, I don't, commitment. <laughs> there's so much and there's a, it's a commitment and, and yeah, look, you know, I think, I don't know. I, 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 I think you're right though. It does seem to be, it does seem to be waxing and waning in terms of like how these things are released. I, I think it's interesting to see how it plays out, especially 
now that our world is so we don't know you know these things were predictable six months ago but now oh, they're not knows what well i wonder if we're going to get more hybrids where like i'm starting to see they'll release three and then it's yeah. one a week after that and it's some kind of mix but god i mean i feel like i do not envy the people who have to make those decisions because i feel like the world is constantly changing and it's it's impossible to to yeah. prognosticate with that kind of that kind of scope and understanding, you know, it's like, it's, it's, you got to make a guess at some point and you, yeah. and you roll the dice, you take your shot and you, you hope it was the right one. Um, what's the most recent, what's the most recent like smash TV show? Like what did they do? Uh, that's what I would look at. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel I'm like too, also- too, too have premiered, not like, it's not like, you know, game of Thrones or anything like to, uh, come out in the last couple of years. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think what feels like it's really impinged in that in that way. I mean, I feel like there's always the HBO stuff, but that's that's kind of its own built-in prestige once a week kind of model. Um, I mean, like right now, I'm hearing a lot of people just to you know keep promoting Hulu. I feel like I'm hearing about normal people a lot, but that's coming out yeah. once a week. Is that once a week? Yeah, um, keeps unfolding. So I don't know. It's it's that's an interesting discussion. I'd be fascinated to talk with somebody whose job it is to actually figure that yeah. out and and wonder what what things go into that decision and how much even the best of them would kind of at the end of the day say we're, we're throwing it at the wall and seeing how it does i will say from from our from my perspective on reprisal i was i was all for the binge drop simply because uh i felt but maybe i was maybe i maybe i, I stand corrected but like i think our the way i always wanted to design the show was to um I wanted people to constantly be asking questions. Maybe that was, you know, a miscalculation on my end, but, and I felt like with that, that it was important to have that answer at their, at their fingertips for the next episode or whatnot. I felt like, but maybe, I don't know, maybe not. No, no, no. So, uh, I mean, maybe some people don't know who are listening right now, but sadly we're not coming back for the second season. Um, right. I would imagine that you have, you know, it's a world that you've had in your head that you had ideas of where you're going. I was talking to my wife last night, just in anticipation. I was like, could this thing work as a graphic novel? Could you continue yeah. this? I mean, the world is built. The You know what the Brawler's logo is, what they drive, the way these people look. And so much of that, because it's film noir, because of how it's shot, looks like beautiful panels of just like, yeah. I feel like you could, I think that wouldn't be that hard a transition. Have you ever thought about ways to continue it in other mediums or other ways? Or do you feel like, no, we, we, we told our story, it's not going any further and it's time to just kind of move on? Um, yeah, 100%. I also feel like, um, you know, one of the, one of the things with the show was that like, I feel like it was such a good opportunity to tell a story that I want to tell, but also, um, I really, I feel like got a little more comfortable with, um, my voice in that regard, you know, like, and I think, uh, throwing a lot of things out there and then they were, they go over well, um, so I, to me, on a, on a more existential level, I guess, like, the answer to your question would be yes, but maybe in ways that, like, are unexpected, not intentionally, but I think just, like, I think it'll always be a part of me as I go into other projects, whatever those may be. You know, I think there's always going to be, like, like, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I would say, yeah, sure, that I never thought of the graphic novel angle. Maybe there, Maybe there's something something there you know i don't know i mean to me that feels that just feels natural it just feels yeah. like so much 
I mean, obviously there's a huge amount of work to actually do something like that, but so much of the work is done already to allow yeah. that to kind of, you know, and I would, if you got jerky and jammies, you've got a whole bunch of story in your head. I feel like you're ready yeah, yeah. to put out and it's, I don't know. I, I, I think you should think about it. I feel like it would be a pretty neat thing. Well, yeah. And I think like too, like all these meetings we would take with department heads in, uh, in prep, they would always, uh, the question would come up like, is this based on a graphic novel? What is this? Um, so it does kind of have that natural sort of, uh, do you, do you think about other mediums and stuff like right now narrative podcasts are way on the rise in part because people yeah. can make them right now in part because they're cheaper i feel like given some of the stuff we we're talking about like the b movies and things like that like i feel like you got some radio plays in you or something you yeah. know like um there was well, that old Matt movie radio land murders do you remember that film with it's, no. it's like christopher lloyd is like the foley guy i mean i i saw it as a kid so i don't remember how much it actually holds up but it takes place at the recording of a live radio play, but there's like mm -hmm. a kind of farcical murder mystery happening in the background. But oh, that's it's, fun. It's, there's something fun to it. I mean, it definitely wasn't trying to like be the great, you know, it wasn't trying to be Chinatown, but it's, yeah. there's just something fun to that world that feels throwback mixed with modern technology that feels kind of somehow in, in, the, in the wheelhouse of your alchemy there that I feel like you could create something like that. That would be fun. I mean, uh, I'm obsessed with, I wouldn't say obsessed because then you'll ask me what are my uh, <laughs> top five radio plays and I wouldn't be able to name a single one. But like, like, like the shadow for one, you know, I oh, have yeah. a couple old vinyls and I, I put it in the show in terms of like, I love that there were these like radio dramas and uh, I, I had a meeting, a general meeting a couple years ago at this company and they were telling me, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're creating uh, podcast dramas. And I thought that was a great idea. I think that would be a lot of fun, especially I think also automatically you generate your own IP. You that's know, how Homecoming um, showed up, right? That's the, the Amazon, I, yep, Sam Esmail. Yeah. That was another one. I've never listened to the podcast, but um, so yeah, I think that, that there's definitely something to be, uh, to, to play with there. There's uh, one of my favorite things to find. I, I think you can find them on YouTube. Um, I believe they were called the Screen Director's Playhouse. Hmm. Is that it? But it was basically like um, the killers is on there, right? Like, and I think it's like, I think it was like in a way to promote these movies back in the day, they would hold these live um, reading of like different scenes from it, but they would like come on board as like, you know, they're a lot of fun, uh, especially in, ter in terms of like, they are, they are pulled right. You know, they're very, uh, they're windows into that era. That's fun. That right, There's the dead pilot society podcast where people, do you know about that one? No. They get casts of phenomenal actors to read pilots that just never quite, they, I mean, they were good pilots. They got shot, but they never got made. And in oh, really? And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, there's like probably 50 episodes of it. Some pop a little bit more for me than others, but you get to hear these pilots as radio plays and, and yeah. they, they hold up pretty well. Obviously it's not the, the window into an era, but it's, a, it's an interesting way to kind of experience people's stories and think like, oh shit, that really could have worked or why yeah, didn't that quite fly in that moment? I did want to ask you, um, starting to kind of wrap up a little but I, you know, when I think about, I think about you and I think about something I hear about musicians a lot where you mm -hmm. hear people say that like you had your whole life to write your first album and then, you know, you have a year to write your second one. Right. Uh, and usually that year you're also touring and you know, doing all this shit. About yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, how you were saying, you know, for this has been a decade long project for you. How do you go about figuring out, what's next you just said to me that you know sometimes even starting a new show as an audience member there's anxiety about the commitment to that when you know that reprisal was ended up being a seven ten year part of your life is it easy 
to start thinking about the next thing? Or is it, is there, is there anxiety about that? What, what is that like being you? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. No, I, I, well, I also look, I think I have, um, I've had other ideas in the background going through reprisal as I went through reprisal. Um, I don't know. I think the, the, the most fun of the coolest thing about writing television is um, there's more real estate and opportunity to come up with, you know, creative solutions or just uh, fun parts of the world, whatever it may be. Um, I don't, I don't particularly think of any, there's any anxiety. I think like, I guess the only thing would be like making sure that, or, you know, I guess like looking at these other things I'm working on, I'm not having any trouble coming up with ideas, but there are some times where I'm like, I have to pull back and be like, well, wait, I don't want it to seem like I'm just doing this over again. You know, like I did this in reprisal. I don't want it to seem like I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a one trick pony. But at the same time, I think that uh, one of the, one of the biggest lessons I, I think I took from the process of reprisal was like just listening to your own voice, you know? And so having fun with that and, and realizing that like um, sometimes, yeah, I don't know. I, no anxiety. I think about it. I, I think if anything, I'm excited to sort of, uh, like I said, um, reprisal will live on in tone at least probably. I don't know if uh, I think these other projects I have will be different in that. Like we were so egregiously like this, you know, Doris and Molly are in these like 1950s, uh, you know, gowns and, 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 and whatnot. Um, I don't know if, you know, if, if the right project calls for that, but um, yeah, no, I'm excited to uh, keep creating new ideas and it feels um, free. It doesn't feel feels free. I, I think the one thing I'll say is that like, I really, really, there is a bit of a, um, it's not PTSD. That would be definitely the wrong word for it, but it was so like every day for a year, 2019 was like, boom, boom, boom. Like we are making this. I gotta, I gotta get up. I gotta do this. Uh, I, I missed that, the chaos of that sort of, um, I, I think like if you would have asked me in the middle of that, I would have been like, Oh man, I can't wait to like not have to really worry about this. And like, I can wake up and, and approach things at my own pace without the urgency, the immediate urgency is, is a different, uh, my I don't know. I felt that after our planning our wedding, we uh, oh yeah, when we got married. Well, it's just you know every day there's there's phone calls to make and there's decisions to be made and it, it, yeah. you're you're excited about it and you feel so lucky to get to do it and at times you're like wow this is a lot and then it'll be yeah. nice when we're we're able to kind of just enjoy being married or whatever and then you have the day and you have the big fucking party and you have all these amazing yeah. memories and you see you see all these things made manifest and all these memories and then then tomorrow happens you know? yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like oh I'm still me but you got to kind of sit with that. You know? There was a solid couple months after we wrapped uh, or even like fully delivered where I would wake up and be like, there's nothing, nothing I get. Okay. Nothing I have to do today. Okay. No, no dailies, right. no 600 right. emails about costumes. And for the longest time I, so I put my phone on do not disturb at night, um, you know, and then, but there's a way you can program to where certain people can break that if they call you. <laughs> yeah. And I basically had everybody um, on the reprisal uh, side. And, you know, I was in LA, we were shooting in Wilmington, the three hour time difference. Like I was getting woken up every morning by Barbara, our line producer, rightfully so. It was 9am there. And I tried to get on a schedule where I'd like go to bed early and wake up really early. So I was in line with her. It just never worked out because I'd be up late writing. Um, but anyway, there was a couple times in the last like few months where Barbara's called me early and I, I it would wake me up and I'd be like, mm -hmm. this like 
flash of like, wait, wait, this knee-jerk reaction of like, wait, do I owe her something right now? No, no, wait, we, what? No, we're, we've been done with the show for a while. And then, you know, um, uh, and then I just recently figured out I got to take all those people off the, the, the do not disturb. You know, it's funny. She actually says hello. I talked to her two days ago oh, because cool. they were sadly, obviously liquidating some of the stuff. And she found my shirt that says flip and she said, do you want it? And she's sending it to me. And I'm oh, that is so awesome. fucking thrilled that I get to have that. And, that's great. Uh, and I mentioned, I was like, I'm talking to Josh on Sunday. Yeah. She's like, oh my God, say hello. That's I great. miss you guys. So we so talked to, we've been, she, yeah, she sent me a few things um, from the show. That, that, I'm, I'm glad you got the flip shirt, especially, oh, especially with that story about it. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, no, I will, I will keep that forever. That's fine. If only I could cool. find where um, some of those wispy eyebrow hairs are ended up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> well, cool. this has been, this has been really awesome, Josh. Thank you so much. Yeah, for, dude, uh, thank you. On the show and and talking about it and sharing. Stay safe. Stay creative. Stay all of those good things and. Um, We'll talk soon. You too, Ryan. Thanks, man. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you to Josh Corbin. Thank you to presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios and Actor Salon. And thank you to you for listening. Please watch Reprisal on Hulu. It's available now. And if you're enjoying uh, Industry Town and made it this far, please check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, at Industry Town Podcast. And please consider giving us a review on iTunes and Spotify. Lastly, uh, check back on the podcast feed because there will be a bonus episode this week with replays of a couple of our happy hours if you've missed out. And of course, I will be back next week with another new episode. Until then, have a wonderful and safe Memorial Day.